Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... The Warwick Slasher In a quiet neighborhood where nothing bad ever happens, something did. Well, something horrible happened in the Buttonwoods neighborhood of Warwick, Rhode Island. And we have names for him. Some people called him the Warwick Slasher. Some people called him Iron Man. But really, there was only one name that everybody knew him by, Craig Price. On Monday, September 4th, 1989, the police in Warwick, Rhode Island, were called to a home in the working-class community of Buttonwoods. Inside lay three bodies, that of Joan Heaton and her two daughters, Jennifer 10 and Melissa 8. The victims were stabbed a total of 63 times. The bodies were discovered by Joan's mother and her sister. When the detectives went in, what they saw literally sickened them. There was so much blood, it was difficult to tell one body from another. The killer? 15-year-old neighbor, Craig Price. He was a cold-blooded killer. When you talk about psychopaths, you talk about a lack of emotion, and you talk about a lack of empathy. He had no emotion. He had no empathy. He had no mercy. He had no reason to kill these people. What in God's name could he have been stealing? Silverware? A television set? Come on. He went there not to steal. He went there to murder. He went there to kill. He had done it once before, and now he has done it four times. And if the state of Rhode Island ever lets this man free again, well, then you're going to get what's coming to you. My name is Logan Crawford, and at the time when Craig Price was scaring the bejesus out of the state, I was a general assignment reporter for WPRI, Channel 12 News in Providence, the uh, ABC affiliate at the time. Well, Craig Price was very rightfully feared by everyone in the state of Rhode Island. When you mentioned Craig Price's name, it was like saying, you'd see uh, something that really scared the heck out of you. People were legitimately frightened by him because he had committed a heinous crime. Now, he was connected to serial killings all at once, in a way. So we'll bring you back to 1989. 1989, Joan Heaton 
is in her home with her two little daughters and Craig Price, according to police, decides to burglarize her home. While he's there, he makes some noise. Apparently, she confronts him. A battle ensues. He beats her, stabs her with a kitchen knife he found in the home. The children get involved. He had two, she had two young daughters. They try to fight him off. He stabs them each dozens of times, uh, many more times than he needed to. He stabbed one so viciously that the knife broke off in her neck. So he was a monster. The crime scene was horrific. It was stumbled upon by her mother and by her sister, I believe, when she wasn't in touch over a holiday weekend. The police were called, they saw how much blood there was, they saw the brutality of the crime, and police started thinking right away like, hey, this reminds me of another crime, a crime where another woman in this very same neighborhood was also stabbed dozens of times. They got involved with a FBI profiler who's told them that this criminal likely lives in the neighborhood. Um, and that he likely cut himself during the attack because there were so many stab wounds inflicted. The police, um, two cops in particular, um, took this case very, very much to heart. The police were literally sickened to their stomachs by the horrible scene. And uh, they started to patrol around the neighborhood. They started to piece together um, who might be a suspect. And they stumbled upon uh, Craig Price in the neighborhood. And he happened to have a bandaged hand. And the cops just started chatting with him. And they said to him, hey, Craig, how did you cut your hand? He was known to the police because he was a petty criminal in a way. He was only 15 years old, but he was a petty criminal already. So they knew of him. And he told them that he had tried to vandalize a car and he tried to smash his hand through the window. And that's how he cut his hand. Well, one, the cops were taken aback by the fact that he would admit this crime to them. And two, they were taken aback by the fact that there was no criminal report filed. They went to the scene, they went to the area where he said he had broken the window, there was no glass. They were able to get a warrant. During the execution of the warrant, uh, they actually found out that, uh, that uh, Craig was falling asleep during the proceeding. So they're searching his house, his mother's there, his father's there, they're all, you know, very, very upset, rightfully. And Craig, who appears to be pathological, is falling asleep. Uh, they woke him up to tell him, hey, you're coming down to the precinct with us. When he went down to the precinct, he confessed. He confessed to all of the murders. He did so callously. Uh, he um, told the police the exact story of how he did it, why he did it. Um, how he hid the weapons and what he did with his clothing and, you know, the fact that he had made a mistake and stabbed himself and left behind footprints and
Craig, I want you in your own words at this time to tell me as clearly and as best you can what occurred there. What did she say to you when she saw you, Craig? She didn't say anything. She was just like trying to, like, since she seen like, like run the other way, break the other way. Okay. And I grabbed her. What happened then? So I was just, like, trying to kill her. I ran to, like, the kitchen. On top of the refrigerator was a knife. And I just... just killed them. If you can remember, how many knives did you use? About six, I think, maybe. Okay. Cover the mother. Do you remember what you covered, covered the other children with? The rug. The rug. Okay. All right. Why did you cover them? Because I didn't want to look at that. Okay. This interview's ended uh, September 17th, 12.40. There was no protocol to transfer from juvenile hall or juvenile court or the juvenile justice system to superior court or the regular criminal justice system in Rhode Island. So um, he was going to be free on his 21st birthday, whether he killed one person, 20 people or whatever. That was the law. And that's what got people so upset was that this was a horrific murderer in their midst who was killing their neighbors, uh, killing his neighbors, and uh, he was going to be set free in six years. We had a very, very uh, politically driven um, attorney general by the name of Jeffrey Pine, who never met a TV camera he didn't like who saw a wonderful opportunity to get in front of those cameras night after night and scare people into voting for him because he was the guy who was going to put this bad boogeyman away. And let's face it, Craig Price is a monster. I mean, he, the people of Rhode Island might have been more scared of him because he was black. I don't know. He might have been treated differently because he was black, perhaps. He, was he targeted by the prosecutorial system of Rhode Island? Absolutely. Was he driven perhaps crazy by them or even crazier? Yes. They were out to get him. And Jeffrey Pine built his career on getting high-profile criminals like Craig Price and uh, Christopher Hightower if you put those people out there, he was out there to tell the public that I'm the guy who's going to put them away. You know, I was talking to a um, homicide detective during this period, and uh, he talked about the prosecutors. He said, prosecutors aren't about justice. They're about one thing. They're about building their career. They don't care about right or wrong, guilty or not guilty. They care about furthering their political career. So Jeffrey Pine absolutely furthered his political career by going after Craig Price. He bent the rules. Did he break the rules? I don't know. That's up for people to decide. You know, the court said no. But uh, to this day, even though he was supposed to be freed on his 21st birthday, Craig Price is still behind bars. 
Attorney General Pine wasn't alone in his advocacy for locking up Craig Price and throwing away the key. While Price was at the training school, crossing off the days until his release, citizens opposed to release of Craig Price, or CORP, was formed and received national attention, as did the case itself. Robert Vaughn, Napoleon Solo from The Man from Uncle, donated $1,000 to the cause. And then President Clinton made a stop in Rhode Island and addressed the issue himself. And uh, Bill Clinton um, and Joe Biden and a lot of Democrats and a lot of woke people today back in the 1980s and early 90s were very anti-crime. They were pro-crime bill and they were um, ready to call young black men predators. That's how Biden referred to them. I mean, is he extremely progressive today? I guess. Yes. Look at his record. But back in this era, he and Bill Clinton were adamant about criminal justice because there was a crime problem. I mean, certainly the pendulum has swung in this country, you know, 180 degrees. But uh, right back in this era, people were out to get criminals. And a lot of those criminals were young black men. And uh, like I said, you have the problem is this, Jim, the criminal justice system isn't set up to deal with monsters. That's the problem. So Craig Price was a monster. So all of the laws that protect the falsely accused, that give you your due process, that make sure innocent children aren't tried as adults, you know, don't fit this crime. He was the size of a man. He committed, you know, very adult crimes. Uh, he had threatened, apparently, to commit more crimes once he got out. So what does a civilized society do about Craig Price? I guess that's when they bend their rules to keep him incarcerated. Um, but uh, so it's complex. I mean, it's why we have Guantanamo Bay. We have Guantanamo Bay because we can take these terrorists and say, here, you're going to stay on this island forever and you're not going to have the right to due process and you're not going to go before a judge and you're never going to be criminally charged and you're never going to be released because we know if we did, you'd probably be released and we don't want that. Craig Price was set to be released on his uh, 21st birthday. As you mentioned, Corp, a citizens group, was strongly opposed to that. Most of the people you spoke to in the state of Rhode Island would be opposed to it. They were trying to figure out a way to keep him in. So what they did was they began prosecuting him on what most people would call petty crimes within the criminal justice system. They found him guilty of probation violations while he was incarcerated. They found him guilty of assault while being incarcerated. And as we talked about before, he was ordered to undergo psychiatric evaluations and psychiatric treatment as needed. The, the um, defense team, the defense team was fearful that he would be transferred then over to the psychiatric arm of the criminal justice system and held beyond his 21st birthday. So he refused to undergo the psychological evaluations. Uh, that led him to be in contempt of a court order and that extended his prison stay. 
So year by year, five years here, 10 years here, 15 years here, they've been able to keep Craig Price behind bars. If the criminal justice system decides it's going to get you, it's going to get you. Against the advice of Robert Mann, his counsel, Price eventually agreed to a psych evaluation to lift the contempt charge against him. The doctor who examined him suggests civil commitment, although he admitted there was no appropriate facility available to send Price. In the 11th hour, guards at the training school brought assault charges against Price for threatening them. In most cases, the actions by Price would be dismissed as typical mouthing off of an inmate. But Craig Price was no ordinary inmate. He was subsequently convicted in Rhode Island court and had 10 years tacked onto his sentence to be served in adult confinement. Soon, Craig was transferred to a facility in Florida. It was a, it was a series of events that made Rhode Island officials decide to transfer him to a more secured facility in Florida. Uh, he was troubled. He was fighting with guards. He was fighting with other inmates. Uh, as you said, he had been convicted of extortion and assault against a, uh, a uh, corrections officer. He told that corrections officer after he had turned him in over the cigarettes that, hey, I'm going to snuff you out. So Craig Price admitted that he did have words with the uh, corrections officer. He said he never used the phrase, I'm going to snuff you out. He actually had a witness back him up who said, no, I never heard that phrase uttered either. But the judge and jury decided to go along with um, the testimony of the corrections officer. Um, like I said, the, the problem with this case is he was the youngest serial killer at that time. He still might be. I'm not sure, but at 13 years old, this was novel territory back in 1987 and 1989. Now, just recently, we had a girl go to school in Idaho with a handgun and shoot up three people, you know? So now it happens not all the time, but seemingly all the time. But in 1989, this was fresh territory and the uh, criminal justice system was not equipped to deal with Craig Price. They had to deal with them after the fact. You cannot make laws after the fact. And that's the problem. So they had to use the laws that existed. And what they did was they prosecuted him for every offense possible, imagined or real, you decide. Well, Craig Price is now in his 40s. He's been in jail since the late 1980s. Um, juvenile detention and then regular jail. Will he get out? I don't know. Does he, does, does, does he deserve to get out? Absolutely not. He is a monster. Like I said, we're not equipped to deal with monsters, but this man coolly, calmly, and without emotion confessed to killing four people, two of them children, butchering them dozens of times with knives found in the victim's homes. And he did it as a child, you know, 13 years old, you're a child. 
you know, some things can't be forgiven. Price attorney Robert Mann was quoted as saying, The test of the system is not whether some middle-class white kid caught with an ounce of marijuana gets a fair shake. The test is whether someone portrayed as larger-than-life evil gets a fair shake. A noble sentiment. But what does society do with offenders like Craig Price? Today, all states have procedures to waive juveniles to adult court. But at how young an age? In Florida, two siblings, aged 12 and 13, were convicted of murder and sentenced to state prison in 1999. How young is too young? An update on Craig Price's potential release from Florida State Prison. Price pled guilty to attempted murder in 2019 in the stabbing of another inmate and was given another 25 years to serve. Listen to this space. I wish to thank Logan Crawford for joining me today on Murder Most Foul and sharing his recollections of the Warwick Slasher. I'd also like to thank you, my listeners. Please spread the word. Comments and suggestions can be sent to the show via email. The address can be found on the show's website, www.murdermostfoul, all one word, no caps, no spaces, dot com. Until the next time, take care. And for God's sakes, don't murder anyone.